Today we're going to look at a story where, where Jesus himself told to the disciples a parable, a story that was meant to do something in their hearts and to push them and to enlighten them. Here's what we'll see. Okay, first, that every single person has been given resources by God to work with. That's true of the disciples, we'll see. It's true of you, that you have been entrusted with resources by God himself. That was the first reason he told that story, so they would see that. And then he wanted them to see that so they would get to work investing what God had put in their hands in the business that God wanted them to be involved in. The story was told at the end of his teaching uh, career. It was in, it's recorded in the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And in this scene, what Jesus does is he depicts God as a master and the disciples as the servants of that master, okay? And so you're meant to see yourself in, in this story. Here's how it begins in chapter 25 of Matthew's gospel. Verse 14 reads like this. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted them with his property, excuse me, and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. It's a story of a wealthy man who's going on a journey. While he's gone, he's going to be separated from his business interests, but he still wants his money to be put to work while he's away. That makes sense, doesn't it? So what he does is before leaving, he gathers his servants together and he makes each one of them responsible for a part of what he has to work with. Each servant receives a different amount according to his ability. To the one who he really trusts, he gives a bit more than this other one, but each servant receives something to work with. Five talents here, two talents here, one talent here. In the ancient economy, okay, when, when Jesus was telling the story, the word talent, it did not refer to skills or ability. That's how we use the word in English. Our English word actually comes from this story. Back then, talent was the largest single denomination of money that they could name. It was equivalent to 15 years that, of salary for a skilled laborer. Does that sound like a lot to you? That's a lot of money. That's like more than a million dollars in our own day. And what this master does is to one, he gives five million, two million, one million. Now, the guy who's got one million has a lot less than the other, but he's got a lot, doesn't he? So, so here now, Jesus is telling this story, not just to make something up, but because he is on his way to Jerusalem, and it's going to be pretty soon, when he's dying on the cross. And after dying on that cross, he's going to be buried in the ground. He knows it. And then he's going, to, he's going to rise and ascend into heaven. And from the perspective of the disciples, the ones he's telling this story to the first time, it will appear as if he is absent from them, like he is on a journey. Do you see it? And what he wants them to see in this time where it feels like he's absent is that they have an awful lot to work with. That he's put something in their hands 
and the continuation of his business will depend on what they choose to do with what's put in their hands. Do you see that? You and I also are in this story. And here's how. God has given you a significant amount of resources to work with. You may not feel like that, but it's true. You may look around and say, well, I don't have as much as that person, but even the least talented servant has plenty to work with. And that truth, that truth relates to this core idea that we Christians are called to believe because the Bible teaches it, which is that God has entrusted every one of us with his resources to work with. Through Jesus' grace and God's kindness toward you personally, he has given you specific aptitudes and gifts. Some have more than others, just like this servant, but even the least talented among us has more than enough to work with. This is how God has made us. And it's not just the truth that comes from this one story, but elsewhere in the New Testament, it's taught with crystal clarity. Have you ever heard the, the church called the body of Christ? Has anyone ever said that in your hearing? That comes from an image that Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses frequently in Scripture. In the the 11th chapter of the letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church, he told the people there that they should look at themselves and think all of us together are a body, and each one of us is a different part of the body with different things to do, with different aptitudes. Some of us are like feet, some are like hands, eyes, ears, and, and each one of us has something to do which makes the body able to keep functioning. We're all uh, necessary to its work together, and the least uh, important body part is also necessary. And so nobody in this body can say, I don't matter. We all matter, and that's by God's design. Okay, that last point is very important. God decided that each and every one that I bring into my community will have something different that makes them unique, something they're good at, some skill, some aptitude, some talent. Do you see it? And that talent, this is why it came over into English like it did for us, is like having a million dollars in your hand. Because the things you're good at, that means opportunity. Same idea comes in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul tells that community that Jesus gave every single person a gift to work with. Same idea is in Romans 12. You're a body, you've been gifted differently. All of this is meant to be taken into our minds and hearts for a very definite reason. Here it is. In this time, okay, in February 2022, it will sometimes seem like Jesus is a master who's on a journey far away and we're going to be wondering, where is he? He doesn't seem to be here at all. Has has that ever occurred to you? Do you ever feel like that? Yes or no? In those moments, what Jesus wants first is for us to, to see, hey, in his absence, we are the ones who have our hands on his resources. And the reason he wants us to see that is he expects us to keep his business interests going while it seems that he's away. You, I, am responsible for what we have our hands on. Let's see how the story continues. In verse 16, Jesus is going to show us different ways of operating with the master's resources. Verse 16, the one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. 
In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. Okay, here in the behavior of these first two servants, we see one way of working with the master's resources. The first two servants do the same thing and they both have the same outcome. Look again, in in the simplest way to put it, they went off and traded. Okay, I, I wonder if we have any folks who've worked in the financial markets in the city. Now's your time to show off. Trading, trading means going out into the marketplace where ambition for gain drives people to take risks so that they can receive a reward. Isn't that how it works? When you trade, when you go out into the marketplace to trade, there is really only one thing that you know with absolute certainty, and that is that you could lose everything. Do you know that? You don't know for sure whether you're going to get a return. You invest and take risks because you hope that there's a return, and the return is on the investment of these resources, and that belongs to the person whose resources they are. And these two, they do the same thing, fully aware of the risks involved. They go out to the marketplace. They trade with everything they have. Do you notice that? The guy with five didn't say, well, I'll trade with three and I'll hold the other two back. No, he puts it all in. Same with the two. They put it all in there with a singular goal. And their goal is maximum return for the master. Do you see that? This is very important. Not maximum return for themselves. They don't have the luxury of thinking of themselves. And what I'll tell you is, and listen, I hope you see it. The master, God, and you, the disciple, the most joyful and brilliant and beautiful thing for any one of God's disciples is to care about return for the master, not for themselves. And by the way, that's the way you find the return that you only get when you serve Jesus, which is perfect joy, which is true purpose in your life, benevolence for the world out there and others rather than always this greedy sense of scarcity for yourself. But these two, they show us what it looks like. They go out into the world using what God had given them and they risk everything for him. And the third servant, he shows us a second way to work with the master's resources. Look at verse 18. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Uh, According to rabbinical law, burying money in the ground is the safest course of action. If a man leaves you money in this first century and you buried it in the ground and then at a later time when he came back to collect and it couldn't be found, you would actually not be liable for that loss. This is the lowest risk approach possible when handling someone else's money. This servant's singular goal, can you see what it is? It's to not lose anything. That's all he's motivated by. He's motivated by not losing. And so his approach is the opposite of the first two. Look at the two phrases there. He went off and hid. Now I know that went off looks in English to be the same as what the first two guys did, but there's a fact here that's lost in translation, okay? The Greek verb behind went off here in verse 18 uh, is different than the one that was used when, it, when the first two servants were described. Okay, they went off 
And what, what they did, think again of what they did. They went off toward the marketplace and the people who were there. And the verb behind uh, that description is the verb poreo, which in Matthew is a mission word. It means purposeful movement toward opportunity. Okay, like in advance. The Greek verb here is apelthon. It describes purposeful movement, but not toward people, but away from people. It's a word that describes not an advance, but a retreat. The first two went off toward, the second one went off away from. It's the exact opposite. And this is the other way of working with what God has given. Okay, now here, think of yourself as individuals, and we also ought to think of ourselves as a church. When it comes to God's resources, we have two options. It's either advance and risk, okay? Or retreat and protect. It's got to be either one or the other. Each one of us has to decide, and we have to decide altogether as a church, which kind of servant will we be? Who am I going to be with what God has given me? Will I advance toward opportunity, taking risks with what God has given to me in order to invest in God's interests and see the maximum return for the master? Or will I retreat to minimize the likelihood that I will not be responsible for any loss at the end of everything? Do you see the difference? It's drastic. And the question is not an abstract question. It's a real one. Which is it going to be? It's a real question for you personally. And it's a real question for our church all together. Uh, direct your attention to yourself first. Let's start there. Who are you going to be with what you have got? Now, some of you right now are aware of the resources that God has put in your hands. Others of you may not, might, may not think of yourself as having a lot to work with. But listen, the truth about you is you have more than enough to work with. So the question for you is what are you going to do with what Jesus has put in your hands? All right, so let's think about that. What is it for you? Be real, realistic here. Maybe for some of you, because of the nature of Jesus' story, the first thing that comes to mind for you is your money. Because it's, after all, it's a story where three servants are given different, uh, different amounts of money. Some of you might think, oh, I have very, very little. Fine, in this story, the guy who got one could think like that. But for all of us, we are, ourselves, every one of us, are challenged to ask a question by Jesus' teaching, which is, am I using my money in a way that fits with why God has put it in my hands? Am I investing it and risking it in the master's business, or am I hiding it and protecting it all for myself? And, and it's very important for all of us to be asking this kind of question. Maybe that's not the first thing that comes to mind for you when I talk about your resources. How about this? Some of you have an intellect to use. You're very bright. It makes you ask lots of questions. Maybe you think, I'm not sure how that could be used by Jesus. This story is meant to, to help you see. I need to think, how did, when God gave me that mind of mine, what did he want me to use it for? Uh, maybe you're dumb as a brick, but you're really good with your hands. And did, was that offensive? Uh, I mean, listen, this is important to say. Uh, one of the outlooks of the outsiders to the way Jesus built his disciples was that they weren't very educated. Jesus didn't care about that at all, right? He, he didn't put a value. You're better if you're smarter than this other one. 
Everyone has something to work with. Maybe you're really, really good with your hands. Maybe you have a gift of speech. You can use your words to persuade people. And that's you. Maybe you can't talk at all, but you have the gift of listening. Do you know that God needs both in, in, to, to serve the business that he has in, in mind in this world that we, we find ourselves in? Maybe you're a great leader. Okay, maybe you're a great follower. You're really loyal. Uh, maybe you can teach and unfold mysteries. Maybe you can't, but you cook. Oh, gosh, you cook this pot roast. Hospitality is listed as a spiritual gift in Romans chapter 12. The, the ordinary, listen, the ordinary contours of your personality and your style, your charisma, just who you are naturally, God made you like that on purpose for a reason. It's his handiwork. And this story teaches us that when God was weaving you together in secret and making you just as you are, he had in mind some work for you to do, some investment for you to make with what you've got. And you might think, well, I don't have anywhere to do that. If you have a relationship with anybody in the world, right there is the place for you to start in thinking about how to invest what God has put in your hands. Every one of you. Look, Peter, the Apostle Peter, one of those who would have heard this first story that Jesus shared back then, listen to the way he guides us. This is 1 Peter 4.10. He tells us to think of ourselves like this, like good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Isn't that good advice? He takes it for granted that everybody's received the gift. Everybody has a talent that is divine in origin. God has given every one of us one of those things. And what he imagines for all of us is, where do you start? In the relationships that you have, serving the people around you. You might think, oh, he doesn't know my friends. They are so difficult. I can't serve them. They're the worst. Get new friends. <laughs> the opportunity for serving is everywhere. And, 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 and this parable in Matthew teaches us to think of our serving as investing. How can I use this thing that God has given me to have a return for the master? Okay, listen, the story teaches us it is going to involve a risk. It has to. That's what trading is. It's not going to be that you go into a relationship and you say, oh, I see now. I just have to do this. No risk involved. That's not how it works. It always is going to be a risk. Always. That's, that's what we learn from those first two servants, that this is how each one of us is meant to look at what we have and engage with what we have where God has put us. The same challenge to be good stewards applies not just to individuals, but to each and every collection of individuals, to every church. The same set of questions must be put. How will, not just me, how will we, how will we use the resources that God has entrusted us with altogether? Renaissance Church is responsible for seeing what God has entrusted us with, and then using it as God intended when he put it in our hands. What have we got? Uh, we should really ask that question. What resources has the master entrusted Renaissance Church with? I'll tell you what. I started to think about this this week in preparation for this message, and the first thought that came to my mind is, God has given us an awful lot to work with. He really has. I talked to some other pastors here and there, and and. Uh, I think to myself when I'm done how astoundingly grateful I am for all that God has entrusted us with. It is remarkable. Uh, we might look at this parable and ask right off the bat, 
Okay, well, what about the money that God has entrusted us with? Let me tell you this, that for the last six years, every single year, without exception, you as a congregation have been more generous financially than the year before. That's remarkable, especially in these last two years of disruption. The fact is, you have a lot to give, and you do give, and your generosity is one of the talents that God has put in our church, and we're responsible for that. Do you see it? I can tell you this too. Uh, Every year since I arrived, the elders at this church have been more generous in giving the money that you give to us away to other people year over year so that in 2021, 10% of everything that was given to the church was given away to mission and benevolence outside of the church. That's over $170,000 last year was given away. That's a gift for generosity. And what we're meant to do, according to Jesus' teaching here, is to look at that and say, okay, that's a talent that the master has put in our hands that we're responsible for stewarding more and more as time goes forward. I'll tell you, that's not the only thing that makes our church a church that has a lot to work with. We have a remarkably gifted staff. I get to see that more than you do because every Tuesday I sit with them all together. We pray together. We talk about what we're thankful for God's, uh, how we're thankful for God's work in our church and what we want to see God do. We did it last Tuesday and I left that meeting thinking, man, we have a really talented staff. And that's not something... Again, think of how odd it would be if the, if the five-talent servant went away and thought, oh, I'm so good, look at me. That's absurd, it's not his. But we have that kind of richness in our community. We have, you have, a spirit of benevolence, kindness, and openness, which to, to my mind is another talent that God's given our congregation. It's such a blessing. Some, some of you might think, ah, it's not always happened. I've been tr- mistreated at that church. Of course, there are exceptions. But I'll tell you in general, that's the nature of our church. Here's another one. There is a broad wealth of knowledge, skill, and expertise across a wide multiple of platforms in our congregation. Do you know that? There are some real experts who are a part of this community. And again, those are meant to be seen as resources for the master's work. There's a diversity of lots of different kinds in our congregation that has not, thank God, disrupted our unity. That's a strength. God's gifted us with this space that we're in right now, which is good. A 10,000 square foot basement, which you can use for worship while you're working on the upstairs room is excellent. And then after that, maybe it can become a roller rink with a disco ball. That, what an asset. We have, and, and listen, I say that partly tongue-in-cheek, but listen, when we, this is why I chose this message, by the way, for this week, knowing it would be our last week down here. When we get upstairs, we need to see every day this building that we're in, not as something that's our possession, not at all, but a tool for the master's work. Thank you for saying amen. Honestly, it means to me everything that I take responsibility as the pastor here for always challenging and pushing us never ever to see our building as our own, but as a tool for God's work. And that's another asset that we have. I could go on. We have, you have a vision for blessing the people around you by opening the doors so others come to follow Jesus. That's the spirit of our congregation. What a strength that is. We have a will to grow as his followers. All of these are, our, are the master's resources he's trusted us with. And the question for us as we go forward, us all together, will be, are we going to put God's gifts 
into the kinds of activities that advance his resources as we invest them, taking risks for the kingdom, or are we going to hold on to them, retreat, close the doors, and make sure that we're okay in here so we don't lose anything? I promise you that that second temptation will always be present for every community of faith, especially when the world is challenging. And my God, how challenging the world is these days. I know what I am going to lead us toward. I do, I know it. Uh, What should we expect as a church? And what should you personally expect as the outcome of your way of investing? And for you, again, it's either going to be advance and risk or retreat and be safe. What should you expect if you pursue either one? The way Jesus tells his story, there's a promise for each kind of investor. And it's just as clear as day. Did you hear what happened with the first two? Some financial person right now is like, oh, the ROI was 100%. I I had to look up what ROI meant, return on investment. The one who went out with the five and put it all to work got five back and brought 10 to the master. The one who traded with the two got four back and brought that to the master. In both cases, it was 100% return. And the promise which Jesus means to make here is if you are willing to risk what the master has put in your hands, the return for the master will be 100% every time. It's impossible for for it to be otherwise. Please listen, I, I, I was careful the way I said that. Not the return for you, We do not want to become that place. Oh, if I risk enough, then I'm going to get abundantly wealthy. You might end up with nothing and die, but you can't bring it with you anyway. But after you're gone, the promise from this story is every single dollar that was invested for the master comes back to the dollar every, uh, to the master every time. It cannot be otherwise. I told this story once to a friend who was in finance who didn't know any of Jesus' stories. And I thought, oh, it'd be cool to hear what she thinks of this. She's a financial person. Hey, you know, Jesus told stories about investing. I told her the story. She said, it's really interesting. I like it. It's a clever story. I didn't know Jesus told stories about investing. And then she paused and she said, it would have been better if, uh, and I thought, oh boy. <laughs> She's a better storyteller. She said, if all three had different outcomes, because that's more realistic. That's how it works with investing. Having the first two have the same outcome. I didn't think of it till after I talked with her, but then I realized, you know, Jesus was making a point by making them have the same outcome, which is whether you have a ton or a little, it's always the same, 100% return for the master. That's a promise. And it may be long after you're gone, but who cares? It's for the master. Do you see it? Can we please let that motivate us as a church? Please. Never preservation for us, but investment for the master. There's a promise in the outcome for the first guy's uh, return too, right? The promise there is, if you retreat and hide, you may not lose anything. The promise is you also will gain nothing for the master. That's a promise. There will be nothing for you to give to him as an increase. And and here's the heart of it. God trusted us with everything we've got so that we would be out there doing good work in the world for him. That's why he did it. And, and, and this is a secondary secret. It's not in this story at all, but I'm going to tell you anyway. It is that there's nothing better in life than to risk the, the master's resources for the master's business. Whether it works in the way that you wished or not, the purpose, the joy, the, the pleasure in being out there and going to work with what God put in your hands, there's nothing like it. 
And, and now watch this. This is very important. I told you at the start that Jesus told this story so that he would teach them to see that they had a lot to work with and to motivate them to get to work. Because the way the story tends after this, after showing those differences in outcome, is that Jesus motivates them by showing them that down the road there is going to be a reckoning. Uh, Here's verse 19. Look at this. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The master returns from the journey. All three servants are summoned, and they have to give an account of what they did with what the master trusted them with. The one who had five comes, and he returns ten. The one who had two comes, he returns four. And the response of the master is exactly the same to both of them, which is in both cases he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been trustworthy with a little, and now I'm going to trust you with a lot. That's pretty stunning when you think of it right? The first guy had 75 years worth of salary to work with. He invested it. And the master says, that was only a little bit of what I want to give you now to work with. Do you see it? It's all because the master wants people who are willing to put his resources to work. And then he says, enter into the joy of your master. He's psyched. He's excited. This is celebration. You put it to work. There was a return. Let's keep going. With the third servant, it's the opposite. He comes before the master. He takes his one talent and says, here it is. I was afraid. I hid it. At least I didn't lose it. And I didn't want to lose it because you're harsh and I'm afraid of you. Have it back. The master looks at him and essentially says, you think I'm harsh? You don't know the first thing about me. If you were scared of me, why wouldn't you at least put it in the bank and earn some interest? They didn't have an orange account back then or Vanguard, but you know. (laughs) He takes it from that one servant that one talent servant, and he gives it to the ones who are willing to risk it because his resources do no good buried in the ground. And then that one is sent off into the darkness where there is regret and grief. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is the poetic image that Jesus uses in his story. A lifetime of looking back and regretting this fear. And you know why the fear is so senseless? Because there is no one who is more merciful and less harsh than God. Would you take that to heart for a minute? It's not necessarily the theme of this particular story which Jesus tells, but it is the theme of the life of Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate with us, who comes all the way down to people who are afraid and won't invest his resources and are timid and two-faced and unfaithful, and he loves them nonetheless, and he gives his life for them because he is merciful all the way through and through. His love for you, for me, his mercy is higher than the heavens, deeper than the sea. And even while we were his enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. Even as Jesus was telling this story, he knew where he was going for all of those disciples who would run and flee and fail him. He was going to the cross to die for them. They, if they're going to know the first thing about God, if you're going to know the first thing about the God who's given you all of your resources and expects you to invest, it is that he is merciful. He loves you. He's generous with you always and will never be harsh with you. And all of that is true. And yet Jesus in this story teaches us that it's also true that one day each and every one of us and all of us together as a church will stand before the master and there will be a settling of accounts. 
It's just true. And in that day, we will be responsible for what we did with the resources that the master trusted us with. You will be. I will be also. I will stand there and will be responsible for all of the ways that I use the gifts that God entrusted me with. And he will want to see that Christian Andrews did the best that he could to invest the resources in the master's business, and it will be the exact same for all of you and for Renaissance Church and for the church up the road and the one over there. God, help us in those moments. Thank God that we have a merciful judge who in Christ is judged in our place, but in that moment, he will want to see that we used what he put in our hands to advance his interests in the things that move his business forward. Someone here is asking, what's his business then? What does it look like? Just listen to these words. This is what he wants us to invest in. Kindness. Grace. Now think of the relationships that came to mind earlier when I was talking. Jesus wants to see that you're investing in grace in what you do with what you've got. In justice. Do you think justice is easy? Right now, is it easy or not? It's hard, isn't it? But that's what God wants us to invest in. And, and we can't excuse ourselves by saying, well, there's too many risks. Of course, the market always has risks. He wants us investing in righteousness, in generosity, in liberation, in moments that liberate those who are oppressed, uh, in truth, in goodness. That's not a popular word, but he wants us investing in goodness, in, in what's upright, in holiness, in faith and hope and love. The master, the master takes that money away from the one who won't Use it in the way he intends because he, he knows that it's time for us to get to work. And, and, and listen now, this is my hope more than anything else is that each of us would be inspired by this message this morning not to be preoccupied with what happens to me after I die, but rather to be preoccupied with what am I going to do before I die. You're not dead yet, are you? I'll tell you, there's a lot of energy wasted by Christians thinking about what happens after I die. That's not why Jesus told this story. None of these guys were dead yet. And he knew that as long as they were alive, the question that they would have to ask each and every day is, am I going to live in this moment with what Jesus has put in my hands for his purposes? And that's what you should be thinking about too. So here it is. For you and for us. And, and I mean both, because we're, 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 we're in, involved in both. And some of you are not. This isn't your church congregation. This is where you come here and there, and that's fine. Wherever you are, the question is, for you personally, not what did I do back there? Leave that. Not what's going to happen down there, but today, right now, what am I going to do with what I've got? And that counts for today. As soon as you get upstairs, at, 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 it's how are you going to invest? And when you're driving home and at lunchtime and at dinnertime, all of those questions are real questions for you. And then for us as a church, on this day when we depart from here and next week when we're upstairs and every single week, how are we going to use what the master put in our hands for his purposes? Are we going to invest and advance or are we going to retreat and hide? I am going to lead you and push you and, and I want us all to be in this together to moving forward to going out and trading with what we've got. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, you're, you're such a gracious and good master that you would entrust us with everything we need to be involved and invested in your work in the world in this time where you are not present as you one day will. We pray that the thought uh, of this 
story, this parable which, uh, which Jesus told, would inspire us, first of all, to be grateful and um, motivated as we have eyes to see all that you've put in our hands. Save all of us from this thought that we don't have enough to work with. Remind us that even the least talented among us has plenty. And then I pray for the same wisdom for us all together as a church, that we would have eyes open uh, to the resources that you've put in our hands. And then I ask that we would be willing at every stage, uh, individually and then in our life together as a congregation, to go out and trade with what you've given us. We pray that the return on, on every risk we take would be something valuable in your eyes. It would be grace spreading out and generosity and kindness. It would be oppression being lifted and just, justice coming. Uh, it would be uh, people leaving behind sin and crooked ways and moving toward holiness and righteousness. That we would move out of the dark into the light and that we would shine so that others would be attracted to you and your kingdom here on earth would expand and, and, and what, would, what is done in your kingdom would be done here. Use us for that and, and, and save us from fear and anxiety. Anytime there is hesitance in us because we have the wrong idea about who you are, remind us that your mercies are new every morning, that great is your faithfulness and that your love is never ending. We praise you. I praise you for the gift of Renaissance Church. I'm just so thankful that you've called me to be at work with these folks and in this place and in this time. Build us up, we pray, for the time that we've spent in these months behind us here uh, in this lower level at this building. And as we move up, make us shine bright for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.